Sounds may be perceived as color, or color as odor. I, I knew that the boys smoked pot, and they, they equally knew that I disapproved. Yes, I was free above the planet Earth, so it was rotating majestically below me. New Year in Australia. FBI. 94.5 and you are listening to this week's edition of New Weird Australia with me Stu Buchanan and me Danny Jumpets. Um well New Weird Australia we do uh, exactly what it says on the tin uh, brand new music from these parts and it is uh, a little bit of the weird innovative experimental eclectic variety Danny what else are we going to be uh, pumping out through the little tiny holes in the next uh, hour and a bit well we've got a very special guest and uh, it's uh, the guy behind um, Severed Heads and so many other um, amazing um, projects over the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, Tom Allard is coming in. So um, that's so we're looking forward to that and, yeah. and finding out what he's been up to. And we'll be listening to a, um, a good slab of Severed Heads music from Go To Woe. Absolutely. And uh, celebrating his appearance at Sydney Festival um, weekend after next. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Weird. They didn't want to tell anyone yet because this object was too weird to be believed. It was in the wrong place. Weird. Australia. New Weird Australia on FBI 94.5. Tom. Hello. How are you? Getting closer. (laughs) Here I am. Now, um, Tom, thanks very much for coming in tonight uh, to uh, to the show. Um, If... uh, a, a little flustered, um, but uh, we're going to take our time casually as we have a listen to uh, some of the uh, Severed Heads uh, music over the last 30 years or so. Um, but we're doing this in recognition of the fact that um, you are uh, playing uh, a gig next week at uh, Sydney Festival mm. uh, at the Bex Bar and also mm. appearing as part of the Circa 1979 um, event or sessions, I believe they're called, um, which is, uh, takes place at, uh, at the Seymour Centre. Um, before we get into playing some tunes, uh, how did this? Um, how did your involvement in this year's uh, Sydney Festival come about? The the interesting thing is it's been put together by people who weren't there. Uh, you know, not Modular so much as Sarah, who works at Modular, moved from Perth and came to Sydney and found Sydney um, sort of like post-apocalyptically cultureless. Uh, wondered where it had all gone, where it had been, and started digging back and found that there was this period of time where there were bands playing every Friday night and there was lots of experimental music being made. And so she started doing an investigation and uh, found out that I was available and we had a long chat about it and I became a kind of unofficial uh, keeper of the records or scribe mm. of ancient mysteries. So I was somebody who'd met most of the people and, and had at least had an idea of where to go next. So I, I, I was helpful in that way. Uh, probably for that reason, it was thought that Severed Heads were a big part of that history. And originally we were going to be playing within the festival. Um, we... Didn't know it, but I think she intuited... Well, we didn't say it, but she intuited that somebody had been around for 30 years was probably not exactly thrilled to be part of something that they did in their first five. 
And so the Bexbar thing kind of is an acknowledgement mm. that, you know, we, we've moved on since then. So we're, we're involved. We're very much involved. But we're, we're also a sideshow mm. to a certain extent mm. to the, the, the festival, uh, the mini festival itself. But the the Saturday talks, the uh, the conferences where we're going to get knock heads together about all this stuff, I think it's going to be interesting. It's not so much a history. It's more where do we go from here? Mm. What are we doing right now? Uh, what's the future are going to be like looking at how things have futured over mm. the last 20 years? I mean, there has been a uh, quite an. I mean, we've noticed, I guess, observing um, some of the discussions that have been happening online or, or, or through communities like FBI and through some of the shows here. Um, definitely a renewed interest in the period, and and perhaps born of of some of the kind of reissues that have been going on over the last kind of eighteen months or so. I'm thinking particularly around the the M squared label, mm. um, and and also through the adenoids uh, kind of box mm. and so on that started to kind of pop up. People are talking about it, and of course, people who weren't there at the time, not for any geographical reason, but by nature of the fact that some of them weren't born in yes, 1979, yeah. Yeah. are starting to investigate it and and find this 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 rich seam. Well, it's a pyrrhic victory to a certain extent. I mean, I am amazed that uh, the the fact that the Germans pressed mm. up a bunch of records for, for, for these bands meant that people locally took it seriously. And, and you can be pleased on one side and you can be very disheartened on the other mm. that until somebody from overseas puts their euros where their mouth is, you're not really worth much. And um, Severed Heads, who'd given up at the beginning of 2008, uh, we had a 29-year, that wonderful one year less that kind of just was just annoying. It was part of the prank. Well, we lasted 29 years. <laughs> um, you know, we, we're, we're very battle-hardened. We've been through a lot of ups and downs. We've been part of a lot of different scenes. Um, I hope that some of the other bands that are having this moment of recognition mm. remember that in six months' time it's going to be the Doof festivals that are, everyone's going to be talking about. You mean in terms of a kind of re recurrence yeah. of the kind of later period of the yeah. 80s and so on? And so oh, it'll just, yeah. it rolls along. It yeah. rolls along. And, and uh, the, the thing that everybody hates is whatever their parents like. Mm. Mm. Now, your parents are probably old enough now that, you know, Kurt Cobain would be the thing that you would not want to be listening to. <laughs> I mean, uh, but us duffers, the, the 40s and the 50s, we're on positions of power as well. The people who run the funding bodies, who run the festivals, mm. who run the galleries, mm. were getting laid in 1979, and it's interesting because you know we've um, we we made an, an allusion to this in some sleeve notes for the New Weird Australia compilation that came out this week. There's somebody like Scattered Order, or, or um, not really not not really yourselves, because obviously there's been a, a an ongoing continuum from 1979 to 2008. Mm. But someone like Scattered Order, whereby you know there is a massive so-called heritage rock industry where you get your Leonard Cohens of the world and, and vineyards and so on and so forth. But people of a certain age who are appreciating music that they were 
going out drinking beers to mm. when when they were 18 in, in in the late 1970s and obviously there is an alternative market there's an alternative group of people that don't give a damn about going to vineyard and uh, vineyard and listening to leonard cohen because they were coming out in 1979 listening to people like yourselves and the m squared guys and and going to the, the recent um uh scarred order gig that they played and seeing the the community kind of not so much coming out the woodwork but kind of coming together again um that that you know there is that kind of generation of people who were there at the time who are who are only too happy to to reconnect with it i guess yeah, but, uh, I, let's let's be very honest that back then no one gave a damn about us I mean, when I say us, I mean the whole scene. The crew, that is, yeah. That is, you know, we we were not congratulated very much then. We weren't congratulated very much afterwards. Mm. And it's it's a very small version of the number of people who say they were at Woodstock. <laughs> you know, if everyone who says they were at Woodstock actually went to Woodstock, you would have had to have had 10 Woodstocks to hold them all, right? Okay. So, uh, really, uh, things are always better in retrospect. Mm -hmm. Every gig you ever did, the venue seemed a lot bigger when you played there the first time. And when you go back, you find it's actually shoebox in the middle of motorway kind of thing. I mean, the trade union club becomes larger and larger in recollection. It really was, you know, the size of a little pub, really. We have an equivalent back home in Scotland, which is that uh, Sean Connery, when he was a lad, he used to have uh, he used to be a, a a milk boy when he used to, to deliver milk to people's front doors. The number of people that Sean Connery delivered their milk to yeah. now numbers in their millions, I think, as well. So he must have had a pretty bloody big milk run. Yeah. Um, look, we'll we'll come back and have another chat in a second, but let's play some music. Um, let's uh, have a listen to some stuff from circa 1979. But um, we've got a lot of music queued up, um, uh, Tom, between. Uh, stretching the whole breadth of the of the head's career, but um, let's start with this one anyway from Earbitten from 1979. This is Acid Fur.
New Weird Australia on FBI 94.5, replaying some music from the Severed Heads archive as we're joined tonight uh, by Tom Ellard of uh, Severed Heads, uh, celebrating some activity that's occurring next week as as part of uh, Sydney Festival. Tom, um, we heard uh, we heard a couple of tracks there. We heard uh, Acid Fur from uh, 1979. Given that it's called circa 1979, I thought it was appropriate to take something Fair from enough. 1979. Um, Shari Vari from Clean in 1981, and then something there, um, Lamborghini from I think 1982, um, that had a very very limited re- release at the time, but as now crops up on the uh, the Severed Head box set um, Ad Noise. Um, now listening to listening to some of the music that, that we heard there, I mean, um, for for those who perhaps um, don't know, understand, appreciate um, what Severed Head, the contribution I guess that Severed Heads made to um, to the music that was made being made in Australia at that time, um, a lot of particularly that that earlier stuff from Earbitten and Clean is is really mostly just recorded off of, of tape, am I right? With with a lot of kind of found sounds and, and things over the top. I mean, in terms of instrumentation as such yeah um there was very radios very little cassette recorders turntables i mean we owned a synthesizer we we had a kawaii 100f synthesizer uh i met a fellow called richard fielding he had a synthesizer i had tape recorders he wanted my tape recorders i wanted his synthesizer fair swap except he got 250 bucks on top but anyway um (laughs) And it was a very good synthesizer. It made lots of great noises. And so a lot of the early stuff is running stuff, very primitive things through that machine, bouncing it backwards and forwards on cassette decks. Mm. Um, didn't have multi-track for quite a while. Uh, last track there, we done an M squared. They had a four-track atomic reactor. Mm. And, I mean, that the, the use of tape loops, I mean, continued... Um, for quite a while through through Severed Heads music. I mean, in, in terms of, you know, the ability to buy something like a Fairlight and, you know, I mean, Fairlight's in 1985 even. I mean, I remember seeing, uh, you know, seeing Trevor Horn of Art of Noise talk about, you know, him buying a Fairlight in 1984 or whenever, in 83, 84, what it was. You know, tens of thousands of dollars and, you know, he had one of the first in the country. We had a demo you know. tape. We had a Fairlight demo tape and we would make loops of that and run it through foot pedals. Uh, so we got a track we did in Melbourne, which shows up on, on that album, um, Blubber Knife, called CMID, which stands for CMI Demo Tape. And what it is, it's just all these cut-up bits of Fairlight demo uh, run through foot pedals at the most ridiculous volumes possible. So, yeah, we had a Fairlight. He needed a quarter of a million dollars. Nah. <laughs> well, I remember an interview. Demo. I remember an interview back then, and they said, "What would you? What would you do if somebody gave you a fairlight?" And um, you know, the arrogant way of youth, we said, "Well, we'd drop it in a swimming pool and record the sound that made." And the the journalist goes, "Ha ha ha." No, uh, Fairlight was naff. It was really bad, but it was uh, it was good for the time. But but what you mean? It was one of these things, I guess, where it was uh, you know necessity is the mother of invention. I think is the phrase Mm -hmm. whereby you know you're producing this kind of audio from the limited equipment that that you have because it it only goes so far. And thus, by twisting it out of out of by by going way beyond what it originally should have been capable of doing. Yeah, but let's let's point out something. There's this genre that people talk about called minimal synth, 
which is this retrospective rebadging of synthesizer music from the early 80s. It's only minimal in comparison to what you can do now. So I had somebody describe the album Clean as an early example of minimum minimal synth. And I said, look, Clean was recorded with better equipment than the Beatles had for most of their albums. I mean, I had a four-track recorder and a two-track to bounce it back so I could get six tracks of stuff. And I, I, had, I could do multi-track and I could sample this and do this. And, I mean, not sample, but you know what I mean, play bits of tape. I had better equipment than the Beatles and the Rolling Stones had in their heyday, and somehow that's minimal synth. And this is the rebadging of history. We didn't find ourselves constrained at all. I mean, we're always delighted with the latest toy that we could afford. I mean, getting a TR-808 drum machine, well, you know, we're craft work now, but, um, but seriously, we, we didn't, it didn't seem like we were lacking anything because that's pretty much what anyone had. I mean, you say um, pretty much what anyone had. I mean, how many other people, though, in the, I guess, or Sydney or even broadly Australia? I mean, it seemed to me that there are obviously, you know, a a few bands coming out of the the, the kind of M-squared unit, perhaps. Mm. But um, surely there weren't that many people doing what what you were doing at the time. There was, uh, no, well, there wasn't very many of us in total. There was a lot of bands who had shifting band members. The whole little band thing was, was rampant. So, you know, there might be five bands on a label, but there were three people in all of them. Um, and there was not really a huge queue of people to get involved. I mean, you, would, you wouldn't you would know everybody. You'd certainly bump into everybody. But to say who was doing what we were doing, well... People were doing variations of what we. I mean, we had our thing; they had our thing. We weren't too, we weren't too far away from each other. But it also didn't matter. I mean, when we did our first album, we we shared it with a band called the Rhythmics Chimpsk, and they were not. They were a freeform traditional guitar and drums unit, but we had the same kind of spirit. We had the same kind of attitude, and that's why we got along fine. I mean, mm. ourselves and those guys would collaborate here and there. And, I mean, John Laidler, who'd, who'd been in the, the Slug Effers and uh, Rhythmics Chimps beforehand, joined in on stage every now and then. He didn't mind, you know. We weren't – it wasn't demarked as, oh, well, you're an electronic band and you're not. I mm. mean, no, 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 it was an attitude thing. But there was, I guess, at that time also quite a, um, you know, large pub rock culture in Sydney. I mean, how how easy slash difficult was it to find spaces to play live and, and get people to turn up? Well, you started off in bedrooms and then you worked your way to lounge rooms and then you would work your way to warehouses. And for some people, their bedroom was the warehouse. And so when people play in warehouses now, it just, it's just the same as, as then. There was more warehouses back then. So it was mm. more. you would get a gig in a pub where you'd have a booker every now and then we ended up playing pretty much every pub here and there we played the san miguel tavern we played the the mossman hotel we played the iron duke we've played everywhere we 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 done and so i just you just do the damn gig i never really thought about oh okay we're playing somewhere we better i mean for this show coming up on thursday i'm aware of that as being a you know dance around your handbag night okay so we're not going to be playing acid fur um, but in general, we would just do our thing. I don't know. I saw Kid Six or Six play the Bex Bar a couple of years ago, and he he played breakcore for an hour, and that was that was pretty uh, that was pretty ear bleeding. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm 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 of the mo. Uh, see, I'm 
of the mood really to uh, entertain on that night. I mean, I, 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 we, we also want to play a whole bunch of old stuff that's been redone. Mm. I mean, and I don't mean just redone for this gig. I mean, when we played in Belgium a few years ago, we reworked everything for that, you mm. see, and, and then we did, we've done shows since then. So it's actually evolved quite a mm. lot. And so mm. I'm kind of que- uh, you know, uh, kind of keen on, 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 on getting people to know, hey, you know, we've actually moved since mm. the last time you bothered to go out the front door. You know. Now you're you're playing actually with um, or in DJ support is uh, Stephen Malander from yeah. from Cabaret Voltaire, and I guess when I look at the Head's career, um, uh, certainly from uh, the the 70s through to the 90s, mm. um, there is a certain mapping I think with with a band like Cabaret Voltaire, um, mm. who went from that kind of uh, tape experimentation yeah. and, and uh, through and found that kind of uh, uh, period of the mid-80s of getting into bed with a with a major label and mm. on all night maybe not quite working out the way it should have worked out um and then having a, a kind of rediscovery of, of some form uh through the, in the early 90s as part of the kind of uh electronic mm. techno edm i call it what you call it, call it what you want uh period which seems that, i guess when you when you map it up is does somewhat align to the, yeah the, but silverheads always did what we thought was pop music and if you look at uh uh, some of the albums, compilations like Clifford Darling, and if you listen to this tracks on there called things like Prototype Pop and stuff like that, which are from 1981. Uh, the myth is that, like I said, we started as an industrial band and then became, you know, dance around your handbag. We were consistently dance around your handbag from the very beginning. We were just really bad at it. Mm. Uh, and we have always, I mean, our mums and dads are people like Kraftwerk and Telex and Chrome and all the bands that were around at the time. But oh, we like disco. Mm. I mean, the first time anyone asked us, what kind of band are you in 1979? I said, we're a disco band. Because we we, we, we always wanted to be a mm. disco band. And mm. now we're a very good disco band, mm. you know, and we play at discos. I mean, it's... Uh, we we also you also get very bored with doing the same thing and you want to do something else. Hell, I did a country and western album, and you do it because you want something to listen to, mm. and 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 so I just do you do what's in your heart. I mean, that's really where it's at. It's always done what we, we thought was in our heart. Was it like you just sort of learned something new with each new record that moved you closer towards doing? Your, you know, your the, the pop music that you wanted to do. You'd understand things. Uh, you wouldn't understand. I mean, we understood nothing at the beginning. We were a complete blank slate. We were a bunch of shortwave radios and tape recorders, and then we taught ourselves how to make rhythm. We taught ourselves how to arrange things. We learned, and and so, for example, with with the album Cuisine, which was the kind of country and western one. I mean, I was in America. I was driving around in an open-top car in, in, in America, and I was understanding. I understood. I began to understand what 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 this was all about, this country mm. music, this mm. thing. And so it, it, it interests you, and you gravitate towards it, and you don't actually make the thing that you try to make. You fail. But in failing, you create a hybrid, Something which is new. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, how did you feel um, when, because uh, in uh, 1983, I guess, um, I mean, it might have happened there maybe a little bit later, when uh, Dead Eyes opened um, a a track off since the accident, Mm. um, had uh, a 
far, far larger degree of success as a single um, and kind of put Severed Heads to a certain extent into uh, into that little bit more of a kind of mm. pop arena, if you like. Um, how did how did you kind of... was That, that was unexpected because the track Very. Dead Eyes Opened was a second thought throwaway f- filler originally in terms of when you were putting the album together. That's right. But it went on to become something that um, has, you know, people remember you by from that period well it's it's it accidentally does all the things that people tell you to do it has the title of the record repeated over and over again it has a slightly interesting melody but not too interesting it's exactly around about the cardiac rate um and it was the perfect time for that kind of thing i mean 1983 when it was made was the perfect time for that kind of music, that kind of drum machine, underground, uh, kind of flimsy dance record. Um, It came out in 84 in most of the world when Virgin picked it up and moved it around, and it was out at the same time as a lot of of underground dance stuff so so the timing I mean, there's a lot of serendipity involved in this whole thing and if somebody says how clever of you to plan any of this i i would say <laughs> uh well no um no we 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 have just uh what's uh vonnegut say i have been the victim of a series of accidents as have we all Mm. And so it goes. <laughs> well, look, let's let's have a listen to it. This is uh, Dead Eyes Open from Seven Heads. Majestically below me. New Year in Australia. 
taken from the album Retreads, uh, Severed Heads, uh, Big Car. And uh, before that, something else from Severed Heads, Dead Eyes Opened from uh, uh, 1983-84. And now we're playing uh, some Severed Heads tracks and we're joined by Tom Ellard uh, from Severed Heads, who's who's in the studio with us. Tom, um, an interesting uh, diversion there, just uh, listening to that last track, which was uh, an attempt by, I guess, labels and producers to put a, a different spin on 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 severed uh, severed heads material how do you feel that uh, that that kind of whole process right about the early 90s um it really kind of played out for you at that time um you know it was at the time it wasn't just me it was myself it was robert Raisick. it was the people in the label the volition label pretty much uh, conferring constantly on, on things. And I found that was interesting. I mean, I found it interesting. I didn't always think it was good, but I thought it was interesting. And when they said, well, we're going to go for, you know, put you in the top 20, blah, 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 I said, well, that's, that's very interesting. Let's, <laughs> let's do that. So Robert made the, the 93, 4 version of Dead Eyes Opened, and it mm. went into the top 20. Um, it would have been in um, very high, except the people in Victoria didn't like it. It was it was much. It was amazing watching. It was like watching the stock market. You could see in New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia, Western Australia, it was up in the top ten. But uh, Melbourne would they put not put up with that? No, so so they. But, but the, the, the problem the problem with that and the problem I knew was coming was was when Sony and and, and Volition that was sitting around the table going. What do we do next? Uh, can we can we change the name of the band? <laughs> well, why don't we get a girl singer? Maybe it could be <laughs> Felicity and the Heads or something, you know. Um, and over in in in, um, in Canada, the Canadian label had decided they were going to be an all girl folk music label. Uh, so what would Sarah McLaughlin do? What would Sarah do? Well, Sarah would do this. Well, Sarah would do it. So could you, Sarah thinks you should get a double bass and a, and a, and a maracas player. Yeah, yeah. So uh, look, I want to about... see that band. I want to see what that's like. Go right ahead, man. <laughs> Make it yourself. So, so Severed Heads was, of course, attacked by success. Success is always a dreadful asset because the moment you've got one record that does well, like when Greater Reward was was hitting every bloody disco in America at one point, it was like biggest selling import album in the U.S. and all that sort of stuff. Wasn't it kind of top ten in some in Billboard charts? Well, it? well, no, no, it, it 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 was in the Billboard charts, but it was because it was an import album. Hmm. Pardon me, single. It was an import twelve inch. Um, the only good thing that came out of that was, of course, Boxcar came along with Freemason straight after. And, of course, Freemason was able to piggyback and jump higher. So mm. that was really good. It meant that you could do a kind of, you know, mm. each Australian mm. band could jump on the top of each other. Um, but really, where do you go mm. from there? And uh, we did Heart of the Party as the next single. And, and people get well, um, that's nice. But, no, mm. it's not Dead Eyes Open. Mm. So we're not going to listen to it. So really... Um, it's it's look it, it's a conundrum because uh, it was the most I was fed well at the time, mm, mm. but I wasn't actually going anywhere really mm, mm. Uh, under that circumstance. So it's not surprising they all fell apart. But again, back to that kind of notion of um, you know um, uh, necessity and, and, and invention. After it kind of fell apart, you're um, continuing, uh, I, I guess, that kind of long-held um, 
ambition to connect very directly with the yeah. people that, that are listening to your music. And, and in the mid-90s, you're there pretty much ahead of, of everybody else, uh, even Google, as, as, as you mentioned, um, in being uh, visible, present, and interacting online with the, the community of people that are interested in yeah. Severed Heads music by running bulletin boards and mailing lists mm. and, and distributing and, and selling music online mm. in the mid to late 90s, way, way before and, and well, anybody else's. We actually were online in 91 on BBS. Mm. Uh, 93, 93, uh, Next Online, part of Next Publishing started up. The people who used mm. to publish Rolling Stone. Yeah. Mm. And uh, they put Dead Eyes Open on as a download on Next um Back on their uh, what was a silicon graphics machine that you could download? Oh god, I think it would take an hour to download. Anyway, but it was up there. They had it up there as a download. It was a music download, and I was it wasn't maybe the first one, but it was certainly very early on mm-hmm. music download. Um, and when we were turfed out of of all our record deals and and everything, I thought it would be funny to take every track that we'd ever recorded and put them online. Um, so we put every single track that we'd ever done and we put them online and I cannot ever remember the exact figures, but I believe we had 13 and a half million downloads of which were from 40,000 distinct email yeah, right. uh, area. So if I had got a, a, a dollar for each track... <laughs> You wouldn't be sitting here now talking to him. <laughs> no. I mean, even if one one in ten people had, had spent yeah. their bucks. I mean, the other thing is, um, you know, you can be too early. Uh, but, no, no, we had to. We had no label. And so we, Sevcom went online in, in uh, 1993. Uh, yes, we were there before Google, but you had to buy our stuff by fax. So people would fax us. The orders would come through on a piece of paper. With the bank, with their bank details mm. written on it, because mm. there was no PayPal, there was nothing mm. like that, yeah. you know. And we'd send the stuff in the mail. Mm. And, um, um, but again, in in terms of um, you know, it's it's not just about pioneering that that use of of technology, mm. getting into uh, a series that, uh, that that started in the the early part of what is now the last decade, I guess, around about 2000, uh, the, the OP series, yeah. um, where it was about um, taking the software concept yes. of versioned releases through alpha and beta and final release stage and applying that to music and allowing the allowing fans or listeners to actually be um, aware of the process by or at least download and listen to you know, cycles of music, version one, version two, and well, so on. Well, that's a theory. <laughs> the, the, the reality? Mean, no, the, reali- the reality is I was making an album called Laptop Pop. And I was seriously, this is seriously true, I was writing this album commuting backwards and forwards between the US and here. So I'd be on airplanes with a laptop making this music. And then I got back to Australia. And all my equipment got stolen yet again. Uh, we, we were always having all equipment stolen. It's one of our legendary things. Uh, <laughs> so laptop went and everything went, and so I had to start again. And, and um, I, I thought, well, I'm going to get this up and happening again real quick. And so I made an album called Op, which was kind of like with the laptop pretty mm. much 
out the window kind of thing. Um, but a number of disasters took place with that, and so I really needed to redo it really quickly. And this engendered the idea of, okay, well, that was version 1.0, uh, so version 2.0 is coming. Uh, but in the meanwhile, here's version 1.1 and 1.2. So it was engendered by circumstance. But once it got going, I I, I actually did find that it's it's much... This, with music, there's that instant... I love this moment, mm. followed by part two, which is, oh, it needs a little bit more work. I'm going to fiddle with it, mm. which is part three is, I hate this. I don't know why I even <laughs> did it in the first place. I really don't want to hear this ever again. Which Part four, which comes four, four or five years later, which is, that's not so bad, really. It just needs a bit more treble. Now, what you find when you're making albums on, on major labels is it's always in part three that the album comes out, the point where, oh, God, I don't want to hear this anymore. It's such mm. garbage. And so op was became releases of stuff which would be done in that moment, either in part one or part four. It would always be in part one. Oh, I know. Oh, this is nice. I like this. I'll stick it out right now. Yeah. Or part four, I'd come back and go, well, that's not bad. I, I just need a bit more treble. So so it, it was cutting part two and three out of the equation. Mm. Um and 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 that that was fun. That made it much more pleasant to um, mm. to to do it because uh, the grind is always parts two and three. Mm. The you know polishing the turd is mm. the bit that mm. uh, it gets you down. And you got and and through that process, of course, there becomes a larger volume of work that people can you know find and choose 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 their way into what it is that you're doing. Well, I don't support the old versions. I mean, version four is the one that you can download. Mm. Unfortunately, version earlier versions are still sitting up on iTunes and that because I had record labels that picked it up, so they've still got the old versions. But version 4 is the one that I would strenuously advise anyone to get, which is a free download, so go for it. You know. well, they so, bugs in some of the earlier versions. So if I, if, if I, if I play something from 1.2... Oh, I liked 1.2, but it's better right. now. I've done better than that. Okay. Well, this is a 1.2 version then. This oh. is uh, of uh, Oblique Firefly Overwalker. Well, we'll be doing the latest version of that at the gig. Great. I love this track. This is Well, uh, it, it's changed. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that. This is the 1.2 version from uh, Op, uh, Op 1.2 Severheads. It is an Oblique Firefly Overlocker. It is an Oblique Firefly Overlocker. is an oblique firefly overlocker. It is an oblique firefly overlocker. I tremble at precise green shoreline. I tremble at precise green shoreline. driving this thing. Who is driving this thing?
Why don't you take your glasses off so we can see you? And then apologise to your neighbours for frightening nah, them. Nah, 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 nah. I'll leave these on. Nah, I like them. Weird. Australia. FBI and uh, taking a track there from the album uh, Illustrated Family Doctor, a soundtrack album from the, the film from uh, 2005, soundtracked by Severed Heads. And myself and Danny are uh, joined by Tom Ellard from Severed Heads. Um, Tom, uh, that one there um, garnered you an ARIA award for, for best soundtrack back in 2005. Was that, were you surprised to um, finally be receiving a, a pointed trophy from Well, I'd never done a film soundtrack before, so I wouldn't have got one before. I would have been cheating. But winning an aria per se. Well, well, I was very surprised at the time. I was so surprised that when they called me up on stage, I ran up, knocked people over, went up the wrong way, grabbed the award and fell off the side of the stage. But, uh, yeah, I, I was. I, the photographs of the night looked like animal had been run over by a car. I think I was the only person who's sit- in Sydney who didn't know. You're right. Incredibly naive. Um Look, we worked really hard on that soundtrack. If you read the the sleeve notes, you'll find that um, a hell of a lot of... I mean, we filmed a whole bunch of new videos to go with the sounds on the soundtrack album. Uh, We would take... You know, like when a soundtrack... You record the soundtrack and then it gets cut down to fit into the film. So we would actually take the bits from the film that the soundtrack got cut down for and expand them out to rematch the sound, the, the original duration of the sound. So, for example, the bit where the main character falls off his, his bar stool, so that, he, that takes about four seconds. He falls backwards off his bar stool. So what we actually did was we did a track for six minutes where people fell over. They fell <laughs> over backwards onto their, their asses in slow motion. And so we would take bits of the film and we would expand it outwards. So really we were doing a hell of a lot of work with what is a soundtrack album? How does a soundtrack album work? What can you do with a soundtrack mm. album? If you were somebody who was preoccupied with the idea of film soundtracks, you would go, these guys are very serious about our craft and so I think that people respected the amount of in the, the, the intensity mm. of the investigation mm. really. And I mean part of that is is born because you know Severed Heads has never really been simply an, an audio project. I mean mm. the, the visual component of Severed Heads whether that's work that, that you yourself have done or, or Stephen Jones um, through throughout the history of it, um, that component has been um, very very integral to, to the whole project and uh, next week when we get to um, see Severed Heads uh, 2010 at uh, Beck's Festival Bar as part well, of 
will be running Festival. the show. <laughs> we will be seeing some of that, uh, some of that new visual work that, that you yourself have, yeah. have, been, have been working on. What can we expect from that? Uh, look, I I pray. I just pray that they've got the the projector that I've been asking for all year. It's a high definition show. It's animated off a of PlayStation Three. Um, it is, um, yeah, it's 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 a high re- it's it's mm. high res three D animation where appropriate. Other places it goes down to like you know plasticine, but a lot of it is very high tech, and it's it's been uh, I've been working on it night mm. and day for like a year, sort of thing. So uh, I hope that it looks big, bright, and beautiful. We can get a bit of a preview on YouTube. Mm. Yeah, you can see. I mean, on the website, uh, you can see stills. And on YouTube, I've got quite a few bits of it that people can see. Interesting enough, uh, YouTube these days is higher definition than most, most mm. uh, video projectors mm. in uh, mm. Sydney clubs. Yeah, so. they've had a big change in the last uh, six yeah, months. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's when the internet looks better than your local bloody pub, then you wonder why <laughs> people don't go out. <laughs> now, um, we're going to sadly have to bring it to a close because we're running out of time on the show. But um, there's one question somebody asked me when they heard that I was interviewing uh, you on the show tonight, Tom, which is, um, in 2008, you said, um, this is the end of yes. Severed Heads, and, and, and here we are in 2010. Is this a one-off? Or is, yeah, oh is... yes, absolutely, totally. Um, the, the, the people putting this on, if, if it had been put on by people who were looking back with nostalgia, I would have said no. Hmm. It was put on by people who are looking back with interest and it's being done in a way that is not about uh, nostalgia. It's 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 actually somebody who wishes to move forwards mm. and feels that if we want to move forwards, we need instruction from what has been. And that, to my mind, sounded like a, a good thing to do. Also, I feel that Severed Head's got a really bad go at the end of, of our career. We were brought down in a in a very tedious way. Mm. Not in a bad way, but tediously. And so just to come up and, and do one more thing mm. and, and hopefully much better circumstances, yeah. you know, show the bastards how it's done right. <laughs> but I don't want to do this anymore. In fact, one of the horrible things is that the show has brought back a lot of people who I thought I'd shaken off, <laughs> including the people I did not want to have to deal with anymore in 2008. You know, the, the reason we shut it down mm. was because we couldn't stand our audience anymore. Sounds like Facebook in some respects. Mm-hmm. Sounds like Facebook in some respects. And the, the it, ghosts it, of the past coming back to haunt it's you. It's just on the level of uh, we were moving forward and our audience weren't. Mm. They wanted mm. it to stay in whatever era they happened to like and we wanted to move on and they were angry that we were moving on and it was just unreconcilable um, well hopefully this will be the the finale and, and the conclusion that, that Severed Heads deserve it sounds like it's going to be we a hope. fascinating night mm-hmm. it's next Thursday it's the 14th at uh, the Bex Festival Bar in uh, Hyde, the Hyde, Hyde Park Bar yeah. supported the by the Reels no no with with sorry, with the reels, not supported by with the reels, and with uh, Stephen Malner from uh, Cabri Voltaire doing a DJ set, which will be excellent in seeing in and of its own. Stephen is also joining Tom uh, along with uh, Andrew Penhallow from Volition Records and Roger Grierson from Thought Criminals and a few others um, as part of the Signal to Noise sessions at the Seymour Centre Saturday, January sixteenth. It's all free. Get along. It's a day of talk, discussion, and screenings. Um, and Tom, you'll be doing a um, hundred years of music in. 20 minutes yeah 
<laughs> All right. Well, looking very, thanks very much, Tom, for no coming worries. in. And in the spirit of um, uh, looking not so much as far back as 1979, I thought we'll, we'll go out in something from 2006 from a great release um, that uh, came out as, a, uh, I think, as a kind of appendage to, to a, a release um, in, in the same era, um, talking about Over Barbara Island mm. as a second disc. Um, it's a fantastic disc and uh, very, uh, very well worth checking out. This is uh, Over Barbara Island Part 4. Tom, thanks very much sure. for joining us. I was free above the planet Earth, so it was rotating majestically below me. New Year in Australia. <laughs> 